Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Friday, February the 11th, 2022. It is currently 1045 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Empty Sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church, located right here in Ovalo, Texas. And, well, I I don't even know what to tell you. I, I don't even know how to introduce this because I have no idea what's about to happen. I literally have no idea. I know that's not a great introduction. Hey, welcome, everyone. Welcome to a program where the host doesn't know what's about to happen, but we're going to do it anyway. I, I guess you have to be prepared for the unknown whenever you listen to the Theology Central podcast. Let me explain, all right? Here we go. I received an email. The email, in fact, let me pull up the email because that would probably make sense. So if we have the email, you'll have some idea. Maybe maybe the email will give us some idea of what's going on here. I got to find it. I get lots of emails. So um, when was this email sent? Here it is. This was sent on February the 10th. It, uh, it was sent at 12.13 p.m. on February the 10th. The email just begins with a link, just a link to a YouTube video. And it says, a friend of mine shared this on Facebook. And I have some concerns on it. It's Francis Chan, and of course, he is pretty popular. I believe Francis Chan is the way he says his last name. Unfortunately, I could only find the clip. I cannot find the entire sermon. Sorry. Now, obviously, it's a sermon clip. Now, I'm not a fan of reviewing sermon clips because I would prefer to have the entire sermon and review the entire sermon. And here's the reason why. Um, Because I always like whenever I review a sermon, the goal isn't to just pick a sermon that I think is bad, then listen to it, then rehearse my responses so that I can have a, you know, a controversial program and get, get a lot of downloads and streams. No, what I do is find a sermon, don't listen to it first, then we review it in real time like we're listening to a sermon together and it may turn out to be good, it may turn out to be bad, but it's happening in real time. It's not rehearsed. It's not, I'm not reviewing it simply to have a podcast episode. I'm reviewing it because, well, I'm going to listen to it and I'm just inviting you to listen to it with me. And I do this because then No one can say, well, you took that out of context. You took that out of context. You misrepresented what that preacher said. I'm like, look, we listened to an hour of that sermon. I didn't take anything out of context. So that's the reason I typically, that's, that's how I typically operate. But in this case, the person can't find the entire sermon, but they want, they want obviously my opinion on it. So here's what we're going to do. I have the clip. It is 13 minutes and 36 seconds. I have not watched any of it because, well, I don't like to do that uh, as I've already stated. We're going to listen to this. Now, I'm a little concerned. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to open up the link here. The link, when I open up the link to YouTube, I'm trying not to read all of the comments under it, but it says, uh, here's here's what it says. When I open the link, it says, Francis Chan, um, not all Christians are going to heaven, exclamation mark. Okay, now that is a, a title that's, you know, clearly going to get lots of views. This video currently has uh, 110,823 views on YouTube. 
It was posted on June the 11th, 2020. I don't know when the sermon was actually uh, preached. Uh, The description here is this is a very powerful message from Francis Chan that the church needs to hear today with the challenge that no, that no, all Christians are, uh, well, uh, this is written very well. I think it's supposed to be reading, uh, I think it's supposed to read this way. There's a very, this is a very powerful message from Francis Chan that the church needs to hear today with the challenge that not all Christians are going to heaven. I think it's supposed to read not, and it just says, no, all Christians are going to heaven. But I, I think I understand what did th- th- there. It's just a typo. It's not okay. I'm not making any fun of it. Um, and everyone underneath this, um, everyone underneath this seemed to absolutely love it. They seem to be like, wow, this is great. You're right. Not all Christians are going to heaven. This is great. Now, I, I don't know where this is going to go, but I am going to throw this out there because sometimes it, it just drives me crazy. Maybe you have witnessed this. Maybe, maybe, maybe it doesn't bother you, but it bothers me. Whenever you can see a, a, you know, a, a big discussion on Twitter, probably on any other social media platform. And when Christians get involved in a discussion, right, it's just immediately like, okay, that person's not saved, that person's not saved, that person's not saved, that person's not saved. Anytime any story of a Christian doing something really, really bad, well, they're not a Christian, they're not a Christian. It's so, it's so amazing to me how quick Christians are at determining who is saved and who isn't saved, as if they have some special insight into the throne of God, and they have the Lamb's book of life, and then they can just open it at any point in time going, I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry, ma'am. I don't see your name. You're not saved, as if they control salvation. You, you've got to be very careful who you determine is saved or not saved, especially based off their behavior. Here's what you can do. You can look to someone and ask them what they believe. Do they believe Jesus is the eternal son of God? Do they believe in the triune God? Do they believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone? You can judge what a person believes by what they tell you they believe. But judging salvation based on someone's action is highly questionable because you're just looking at, you're, you're, you're judging, think about it this way. You're trying to judge someone's possession, or let me think, let me state it this way. You're trying to judge someone's imputed righteousness by looking at their practical righteousness. Imputed righteousness is something they received by faith. That doesn't change them practically. That changes them positionally. So someone is positionally, perfectly holy, completely forgiven. You can look at their practical life and say, well, I don't think they're saved because, well, now you're trying to judge, you're trying to judge someone's, someone's possession of imputed righteousness. And when I say possession, in other words, they've been declared imputed, they've been declared perfectly righteous because of faith. And you're trying to judge that based off what they do or don't do. That is just still logically questionable and foolish in my estimation. You can't do that. We're justified by faith alone. I'm declared perfectly righteous because Christ's perfect or his passive and active obedience has been imputed to my account. My practical righteousness will never be able to prove imputed righteousness. It will never be able to. He said, well, it should at least lead you in that direction. Well, should it? Because that that becomes very subjective. But I don't know where this is going. I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried. <laughs> I'm a little worried 
where it's possibly going. But we'll, we'll flesh out some of those ideas. I, I could go a little bit further into some of those ideas, but we're just going to jump in. 13 minutes? I don't know what, I don't know what to expect. I don't know. I, I really don't. I, so I know you're, I know what you're saying. It's probably foolish. You probably should watch it first. I probably should, but it just seems to, I, I don't like these things to feel like a, a production, right? I, because then I can just, I can watch it and go, Ooh, I can say this. And, and like, I, I don't, I don't want it to feel like it's a rehearsed response. It just seems so fake. I want it to be real time. So here we go. Are you ready? All right. Francis Chan, not all Christians are going to heaven. All right. That's, that's a provocative title. I don't know if Francis Chan gave the sermon that original title or if the person who's posted this clip, if they've given it this title. And again, I would love to hear the entire sermon. Now, Theology Central, Listeners, you're a great, you are a great research team. You are a great research team. If y'all can find the entire sermon, then let me send it to me, and then we'll do a review of the entire sermon at a later time. But for now, no more introduction. Francis Chan, not all Christians go to heaven. I don't know if this is the original title. I don't know if Francis Chan would even agree with that title because I don't know what's going to be said, but someone thought it was amazing. They posted it and everyone underneath it seems to think it's amazing as well. And if I call it into question, I'm probably going to get a lot of Christians upset with me, but we're, we're just gonna, we're gonna just see what happens here. We thinking caps on thinking caps on here we go. Hi, welcome to the channel. My name is Dan Beasley and this channel is all about inspiring intentional discipleship. I've been you go deeper in your faith and living it out in the world today. And we are going to hear today some challenging preaching from Francis Chan, really challenging us as Christians. Are you there? Have you secured your foundation? Because many Christians, he says, aren't going to get to heaven. Many Christians aren't reading the Bible. Many Christians are hearing the liberal church about love, love, love and forgetting that God is a God of justice. God is a God of both love and justice. Are you reading the Bible or are you just hearing these preachers and listening to them? This is challenging preaching. We don't hear it that much in the church today. We need to hear more of this. But be challenged today. Listen to this. Take it to heart. Okay, now he comes in and there's all those sound, all those sounds in the background. If you ever watch a YouTube video, they got little things going on showing you click here to subscribe. And, and okay, so that's all of those sounds. Remember, it's a video that we're listening to. So, uh, so this just so that you know what's going on um, and about intentional discipleship, I think is what he said. And then I, I get a little nervous when you say he's going to tell us about uh, not all Christians are going to heaven. And then he immediately goes in, you know, about reading your Bible. <laughs> so that just seems I know he probably didn't mean it that way, but it almost sounds like, hey, if you're not reading your Bible, you're not going to heaven. OK, so how much do I have to read my Bible to get to heaven? Like what what what's required? Two hours a day. Do I get to heaven four hours a day? Do I get to heaven if I read my Bible six hours a day? Do I re- am I just guaranteed like when what if I? only read it well once a month oh 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 not going to heaven not going to heaven like where where I know that's, I hope that's not what they're implying, but it just seems like he's really like, Christians are not reading their Bible and they're just listening to these liberal preachers. So if I listen to liberal preachers and don't read my Bible, I don't go to heaven? Or am I saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone? 
You, you see that this gets really, oh boy. Okay. I, all right. I, I, I just got to, I just got to let this play out. I'm already getting worried. I'm already getting really, 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 really worried. Really, really, really worried. Okay. But here we go. And be blessed. I guess that's like their little theme. I I, I don't know what that is because I'm not seeing the video. I, I just I grabbed the audio from it. So all right, well, let's, <laughs> again, you never know what's going to happen when you do this. Here we go. I've been studying this book for over thirty years, deeply, in the Greek, in the Hebrew, in English, just over and over try to read through this book at least once a year because I want to know the truth. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to count on someone else telling me what it says. Best I, and I could be wrong, I'm a human being, but I'm just saying, man, best I can understand this book and what Jesus says about following him. Here's what I am most concerned about to put it as plainly as I can. I am deeply concerned that even though you are sitting in a church building, that some of you one day will go to hell to be tormented day and night forever and ever. And by the time you figure it out, it'll be too late. Okay. Now, again, we have no context here. We have no context here. So I, this is, so I, I, oh, I don't like this at all. So we, we definitely want to probably track down this sermon. So we start off with the idea. Okay. So he, he, he's read the Bible. He studies the Bible. He knows the Bible. He knows the Bible. He's, he's, he's almost placing an argument of, okay, I have authority because I've studied the Bible. That is something preachers tend to do. I've, I've done it. We all do it because sometimes it gets frustrating when you're preaching. You almost feel like you have to try to, Hey guys, before you start arguing with me, I've studied this. So I, I understand the desire to do this. Um, Okay, all right. Now, someone just says he does want to be told what the book uh, says, but here's what the book says. Okay, um, <laughs> that's okay. I was getting ready to get to that. Someone just pointed out it is interesting that, like, hey, I don't want to be told what the book says. I, I don't want to be told what the book says by anybody else, but hey, guys, I want you to listen to me tell you what the book says. <laughs> okay. That- that, that is, that's a good point. That's a, that, that's, that's a, that's a very good point. Hey guys, I, I want you to, I, I, I don't want to be told what the Bible says, but I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. That, 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 that is true. I, I, I did, I did hear that as well, but, but so, so it starts off. I understand what he's trying to do, that he's trying to establish like basically, Hey guys, I have authority here. No, that's okay. Typos are okay. Typos are acceptable. Someone in the chat, uh, they were, they were, they were ty- typing things out, and it didn't all come out correctly. I understand. Um, I'm, I, I do. If you see me in the Discord channel, you know how many typos I make all the time. All right, I'm going to open up the uh, 
I'm going to open up the Spreaker app so that I don't miss any uh, comments. All right, so here we go. So he's trying to establish authority. I understand that. I, I know why preachers do that. I know it can come across. Sometimes when I hear myself do it, I'm like, hey, it can come across a little braggadocious and like, you know, hey, I've studied the Bible more than you. I understand that. I do. I understand the reason why sometimes you try to do that because you're trying to establish that what you're getting ready to say is based off years of study. And so I, I can understand that. I, I, I will give him a little pass on that. I can understand that. Now, he says, okay, so he, he has figured out from his years and years of studying the Greek and the Hebrew and studying the Bible and reading it every year, that there are people sitting in church who are who will possibly die and go to hell. And when they finally figure it out, it's going to be too late. All right. Now, the question is, okay, why are they going to go to hell? What is he basing this on? Are they going to go to hell because they have not place their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ? Or is it because they're going to go to hell because of like, what, what's going to be the issue here? What's, what's the deciding factor that's going to determine why some people sitting in his church, I'm assuming he's preaching this in his church, are going to go to hell? Why is it that there are people sitting in his church who are going to go to hell? Now, I would question, if you know there's people sitting in your church and they're going to go to hell, um, are you, are, are, do you know who they are? And if you know who they are, uh, you're, you're, you have then members of your church that you know are not saved. Are you like, are you, what are you, what are you doing about it? So I, I mean, there's a lot of questions I have here, but all right, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to process what he's trying to do here from a, from a preacher's perspective. He's establishing authority because he just made a massively dogmatic statement. I have the authority to say this because I've studied the Bible for 30 years. I've studied Greek, Hebrew, and I read it every year. So therefore, I have the authority to tell some of you that you're sitting here and you're going to go to hell and you're going to be tormented. He's basing it on his authority of his knowledge of scripture. So this gives you the idea, whoa, he knows the Bible better than I do. And is he talking to me? Could I be the one possibly going to hell? All right, now let's see how he's going to make put forth the argument. Here we go. That's my biggest concern. Look, I, I don't, look, I have a couple of fears. One fear is I don't want anyone thinking they're going to heaven if they're not. That's horrible. And the most loving thing is not to just let people go and not offend them and wait till they figure it out at the end. But I also have another fear, man. I don't want people who know Jesus to feel like they don't and be worried about it. <laughs> and how to walk that tension and go, God, I don't want to just get everyone worried about their salvation. At the same time, I don't want everyone just to assume that they're saved. And so- Okay, I, I do appreciate, I do appreciate he's trying to be balanced here. He's trying to be balanced. It's, yeah, I, I wouldn't want anyone to think that they're saved who's not saved, and I wouldn't want someone who's saved to start questioning their salvation. There is a tension there. That is a struggle. All right, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate the balance. All right, let, let's see, though. You, you, you've, you've already stated that you're pretty much convinced that there's people sitting there who are not going to heaven. Okay, now, what, what's, the, what's the determining factor here? 
So you just you just go, I don't know how to differentiate the two. I don't I just try to get away from myself as much as I can and just read the words of scripture and let it happen. But I, I tell you, I've been I that's what if I'm completely honest right now, that's what I care about. I know some of you guys are struggling in your marriages and I care, but not as much as I care about this. Some of you are struggling with sickness and I, I care, but not as much as this. Some of you are dealing with racial tension. Some of you are, are dealing with a loss of a job. And I care, but not nearly as much as I care about this. Because this is forever. Okay? This is forever. You're gonna, we're all going to stand before this God. And he's going to say one of two things for you. And it lasts forever. Forever. Either well done, good and faithful servant. Man, come over here. Man, you, you're my son. You're my daughter. Get over here forever and ever. Or depart from me. I never knew you. I mean, one of the, one of the passages that caused me to get into Christian ministry was when I read uh, Matthew 7, verse 21, where Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And right before he was talking about, man, you can tell the good tree by the good fruit. Because not everyone who just says to me, Lord, Lord. And as I read that passage, it's showing me, it says in the last day, many people, many are going to come to him and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I do this? Didn't I do that? And it says, and he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Okay. Now, the famous Matthew 7 passage. All right. Now, I've dealt with Matthew 7 so many different times. It raises so many issues that I don't know if I can unpack all of them, but let me just say, I, I find it interesting that, okay, Matthew 7, 21, all right, hey, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to get into heaven. So so just saying it doesn't count. It, 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 and then he goes back and says, and the previous verses talk about good fruit and bad fruit. So the, the, the implication is, if you don't have enough good fruit, then you're not saved. Well, then my question would be, how much good fruit is required to determine if someone is saved? And then why in 1 Corinthians, when Paul talks about a judgment where everyone's works burn up, but yet they're still saved. How could they still be saved if all of their works burned up? How does that work? Okay. So, but the question is like, okay, so you've got to have good fruit. Well, how much good fruit is required in order to be saved? And then he goes on to describe people that, well, they did this and they did this and they did this, but they weren't saved. Well, wait a minute. If doing things doesn't prove you're saved, well, then what fruit are you looking at to prove if someone is saved? If it's not what you do that proves you're saved, but it's fruit, is it fruit evidenced in action or is it fruit evidenced in attitude? Like, so, because the text, I, I, I do agree. Yeah, yeah. I, someone just said they're on the edge of their seat trying to figure out where he's going to go with this. I mean, too, this is why I wish we had the entire sermon, but okay. So, uh, let me just show you how bizarre Matthew 7, 21 is. First of all, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. I will argue that the will of God in heaven is for you to believe on his son. That's the will of the Father is for you to believe on his son. Because if you say not everyone's going to go to heaven unless you do the will of the Father, well, if you say the will of the Father is to be holy and to be perfect, well, no one's going to go to heaven because no one ever 
perfectly obeys the will of the Father except for one, and that was Jesus Christ, his, his only begotten Son, and whom the Father was well pleased because Jesus lived to do the will of his Father. I don't live to do the will of God because I disobey it constantly just as you do. So first of all, if we read Matthew 7, 21, and this very, like, the way that it's typically read, okay, not everyone in this church, I'm preaching to the church, not everyone in this church who said, Lord, Lord, you're not going to heaven. It's only those in this church who do the will of God. So you're only saved if you do God's will. And what is God's will? For you to be holy, as he is holy. That is God's will for you to love the Lord that God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. God's will is for you to have a pure heart. God's will, and I can go on and on and on, scripture after scripture after scripture, and by, I I get about five minutes in, and you should scream out, woe is me, I am undone. I'm an unclean man with unclean lips dwelling in a land of unclean people. I am undone. There's nothing I can do. You should feel the weight of, of your sin and realize how condemned you are. So if you say that, I will argue, yeah, the only ones who will be saved who, who does the will of the father and the will of the father is for me to believe on the son. That makes some sense. And if you say, no, 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 he's referring to your actions. Well, then wait a minute, because look what happens. Many will say to me in that day, verse 22, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works. So they did good works and they're not saved. So do works prove you're saved? Because these people had works and it didn't prove they're saved. (laughs) So what proves you're saved? Doing the will of the father. What is the will of the father? For you to believe on the son. You, you can look up, if you don't believe me, do, do a little, while we're listening, do a little cross-reference on the will of God and find where it speaks of God's will is for you to believe on the Son. I, it, Jesus mentions the will of the Father about believing on, on, on the one he, whom he had sent, which is Jesus Christ. That, that's the only thing that makes any sense to me. So people do some bizarre things with this verse, which we're getting a little bit of like, like you, look, all I would say, just think about it logically. The only people are saved who do God's will. Okay, do you know anyone who does God's will perfectly? I have only known one person in the entire history of humankind to do God's will perfectly. Go to Hebrews 11. Look at all the heroes of the faith. None of them did God's will perfectly. Abram didn't do God's will perfectly. I mean, if he did, why is Ishmael? Why, where, why was Ishmael running around? Okay, right? I mean, we can go through all. David is mentioned. He didn't do God's will perfectly. Moses is mentioned. He didn't do God's will perfectly. He didn't even get to go into the promised land. Samson is mentioned for crying out loud. Clearly, he didn't do God's will perfectly. How come all the people in Hebrews 11, who are the heroes of the faith, none of them did God's will perfectly? And you say, well, you don't have to do it perfectly. So if I do God's will 50%, I get into heaven? So then I would have to retranslate this. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my father around 50 to 60% will (laughs) basically gets into heaven. That's ridiculous. That makes no sense. No, it's true. I only am saved if I do the will of the father. And the will of the father is that I believe on the name. I believe on the name of Christ. I believe on his son. That's the only thing that works. Nothing else works. You can, you can run 
every kind of simulation you want on these verses and every theory and every idea. You can make a chart, right? Okay, here's here's one possible interpretation. Okay, what's the logical results of taking that to its logical conclusion? Here's another possible interpretation. Let's run that to its logical conclusion. You're, you're going to find yourself like, well, everyone's going to hell. Or you're going to have to come up with a better alternative. And we, we've talked about this so many times. But yeah, you can look up the verses that speak of the will of the Father is for us to believe in the one whom he had sent, which is Jesus Christ. You can find those scriptures. I think it's in the Gospel of John. All right, here we go. And so clearly in that passage, there are people who are deceived. It seems from the language that they're going to get to the end and go, well, wait a second, I thought for sure I was getting, what are you talking about? I did this, I taught Sunday school, I hardly ever missed a day of church, I was raised in the church. They told me, just come forward, pray a prayer. Man, I did that prayer, well, what's going on here? There are many people who will think, but they're going to be deceived. That terrifies me. Okay, so this is the, the dramatic, you know, this is people who go to church every week, people who teach Sunday school, people who read their Bible. So, so wait a minute now. Okay, so now th- this raises questions. So then how, so th- this is all things people do. These would be all good works, right? So now if going to church doesn't prove it, reading your Bible doesn't prove it, teaching Sunday school doesn't prove it, then what would prove it? What, what's the proof? I'm waiting for the proof. What proves that I am saved? What proves that I'm saved? So, so church doesn't prove it. Teaching doesn't prove it. Going to, so I guess reading your Bible doesn't prove it. So what proves if I am saved or not saved? Because I agree. This seems to refer to people who are deceived. I, I completely agree. This seems to refer to people who are deceived. That is scary. I agree it's scary. So What's the answer? What's the answer? What's the answer? Okay, how, I, that's what we want to know. What, how do I know if I'm uh, one of those Christians who's not going to heaven? I, I, I've got to, because I want to find out. I mean, I'm not saying that in a sarcastic way. I, if I'm one of those Christians not going to heaven, I want to figure it out on this February the 11th, 2022, because I don't know if I'll be alive on February the 12th, 2022. So, so let's, let's see what the answer is. That scares me. And so if you want to know what I care about and what I see in Scripture, it's these passages where I go, man, I'm concerned. I, Man, what's a loving thing to do? Just kind of go, oh, let me give you a happy sermon today and let's all go feel better because life is tough. No, I think about the end. Look, life is a vapor. You're here one second and then you're gone. And so I just prayed. I go, God, if I were honest, loving, unafraid of what anyone thought, what would I say? I would go to some of these passages. I would go to the scripture because I'm afraid that someone lied to you and you didn't take the time to study this book for yourself so you don't even know. I'm I'm afraid someone told you that there's no hell anymore. That's really popular. Man, when's the last time I even heard the word hell from a pulpit? Even in church. Why? Because someone's been lying to you. They're saying, how can a loving God punish? How could a loving God torture? 
That's what our world teaches. That's the popular teaching. But I'm not here to teach what's popular. I'm here to teach what's biblical. I'm saying if you study the Bible, read it yourself. Don't just let someone tell you it's done now. Start in Genesis. You'll read about a time when God actually drowned everyone on the planet. He was grieved that he made them. It's pretty early on. You only got to go like six chapters. Now, would a loving God drown everyone on the planet? Every man, woman, and child, and infant, a loving God did that? You'll, you'll read about a loving God who says to the Egyptians, hey, if you don't let my people go, I'll kill the firstborn of every household. Wait, wait, the, you'll kill? You'll send an angel to kill the firstborn of every house. Loving God. I'm not saying he's not a loving God. I'm just saying there's other parts of him. He's also a God of justice. He's a God of wrath. Read this book. And you go, oh, but you're quoting from Genesis. That's the way he used to be. Do I need to read the book of Revelation to you? You want to see how it ends to know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today? I, I just... I know, I know it's, it's so weird when you listen to like sermons. I mean, I listen to a lot of sermons and it's always, it's always interesting to me hearing the reaction of the congregation, right? Um, he, the focus is here. Hey, some of you guys, some of you, I'm afraid are not going to heaven. He's preaching, and yet, even though he's trying to say some of you are not going to heaven, clearly people are laughing and applaud. Clearly, they think they're going to heaven, right? Like, 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 I would be like, whoa, 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 don't clap, don't laugh, because I could be talking about you. Why are you laughing? Why are you clapping? I'm worried that some of you are not going to heaven. But obviously, the people laughing and clapping are completely convinced that they are going to heaven. They're probably thinking, oh, man, I wish that person I know who goes to that church across the street, I sure wish they were here because they need to hear this, right? I sure wish those pe people I know who go to a different church in a different state would, what, what, what wait, no, the, he's supposedly warning the people of his own congregation. So why is your congregation laughing and applauding? They should be like, whoa, is it me? Is it me? Is it? But clearly some of them are not worried about it. I wouldn't be laughing. I'd be like, whoa, wait. So some of us, like, is it me or the person next to me? Like, it, it'd be like the disciples when, when, hey, one of you are going to deceive me. Wait, who is it going to be? Which one? Which one? Is it them? Is it, who is it? Who is it? Who? So, and would I be sitting in the back of the church? Oh, it's got to be the people up there in the front pew. They're complete garbage. Their their family's a dumpster fire. Has to be them. Has to be like like I mean, but, but it just it appears that I, I've watched this so many times. And these sermons were like, okay, here's the eleven point test that proves whether you're saved or not saved. And everybody in the church is like, for every point of the test, amen, amen. I'm like, so nobody in the church failed the test. Everyone in that church is saved. It's just really like it's a weird thing. Maybe it's just me, but it just seems weird to hear them laughing and applauding because that, that, that's, 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 that's you putting forth a public display that you think you're good, 
Like, like you're letting the people next to you like, see me clapping? <laughs> see me laughing? I know I'm going to heaven. I'm not so sure about you. Okay. Like, it just seems, I, I don't know. It's like, are we, are we really seriously considering that maybe a lot of part, people in his church aren't going to heaven? Or is it just big talk so that we can then all leave that church and go talk about all the people we don't think are saved? Just, I think it's a reasonable question. Here we go. And forever, listen, we have a God who is a God of love. He's a God of redemption. He's a God who wants to save. I mean, that's why he sent his son. But at the same time, nowhere in this book will you see people praying a prayer to accept Jesus as their savior. You'll see people who over and over said, repent, turn. You need to be born again. You got to start this thing all over. You got to die to yourself. That's what. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Okay. Now I don't know where this is going to go. Cause we only got four minutes left. Right? So I'm, I'm I, I, I definitely, we need to find this sermon cause I want to be fair, but I hear what's happening. I don't know if anybody else just caught it. All right. I don't know if anyone else just caught it. Okay. So let me try to explain this. All right. Now, what I'm going to say is controversial. And there's lots of people who disagree with me what I'm about to say. And I completely understand why they disagree, because I used to would I used to agree with the other side. But now I've left that side and I'm on a different side. Okay, there is a perspective that says, look, salvation is You turning from your sin, not changing your mind about your sin, an actual turning from your sin, dying to yourself, denying yourself, and now following Christ. That those are that that language of dying to self, denying self, and and, and following Christ, that is not that's not a language for discipleship. That's not life for that's not a verse for sanctification. That's how you get justified. Now, if you, if you take that to its logical conclusion, then I know that there's a couple of people listening. So I could look at each one of them and go, okay, have you died to yourself? Have you denied yourself? Are you following Christ? Because if you haven't died to self and denied self and you're not following Christ, then you are not saved. You, well, I would hope all of the people listening would be like, well, then I'm not saved. And I would be like, well, yes. And the person talking to you, I'm not saved either because I've not truly denied self, truly died to self. And I cannot say that I'm truly following Christ perfectly every single day because I follow myself a lot. I follow my thinking, my ideas, and my feelings a lot. I gave you an example this week, this week on how even though we started a Bible study exercise, right, on difficult times, on, 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 on times that are troubling and are difficult, right? There, there are times that are, that are troubling. There's times that are difficult. Well, I, we did a Bible study exercise on this. Hopefully everybody, everybody's been working on it. And then I get to church on Sunday and everything goes horribly, 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 horribly wrong. Sunday school was a disaster. Then I had one hour to try to preach what needed to be at least two to three hours. So now this Sunday, I have to try to go back and put it all together. Everything's a mess. Wednesday night, everything went horribly wrong. No internet, no water. So we had to cancel all services. Everything went horribly wrong. I've been frustrated, 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 frustrated. I have not been able to sleep because I've been so irritated about how everything has gone down. 
came out here to do uh, studies yesterday. I didn't like half of the things I did yesterday. Was still even more frustrated, so I couldn't sleep last night. Frustration, frustration. So I went through a little bit of trouble, a little bit of difficulty, a little bit of just a little bit of trouble. Not nothing major, nothing like what we saw, you know, Joseph going through. And I. got irritated, got frustrated, got aggravated, got angry, got mad. And so I did a, a, an episode talking about, well, clearly I have not died to self, denied self. And I'm not, and I'm clearly not following Christ because if I was dead to self and denied self, then I would have handled the situation differently. So I acknowledged my own failure and sin. Well, if you're going to say that salvation requires you to die to self, deny self, and follow self, you're never going to know you're saved, ever, ever. And in fact, I will argue you will never be saved because you will never truly die to yourself and never truly deny yourself. It is something you strive to do. It's something we hope to do. That is our discipleship. That is our sanctification. My justification is not based on me dying to myself. My justification is based off Christ dying. It's not about me denying myself. It's about Christ who denied not my will, but your will that he, he did all of those things. My justification is based off what Christ did. You just made salvation based off what we do. That's, that's frightening. That, that just turns salvation into, okay, great. Well, how do you know you're saved? Well, did you die? To, have you died to yourself, denied self, and stopped following self? Well, Yes. I've done that. Okay, well, a church where everyone has died to self, denied self, and no one is following self, there should never be any divorces. There should never be any sin. There should never be any problems because if you died to self, you can't be following your lust. You can't, you, I mean, you're going to be perfect. So I guess his church is perfect or no, well, obviously he's questioning the, their perfection because that's why I think some of them are not saved. But the people are, are celebrating. Why would you be celebrating? The minute I were like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just took, took this idea of dying to self, denying self, and you made it a prerequisite for salvation. Now, I know what people say. No, 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 no. It's not a prerequisite for salvation. But if you're saved, you will die to self. You will deny yourself and you will follow self. So if I don't do that, I'm not saved. So you've made it a prerequisite for salvation, no matter how, what order you try to place it in. No, I... I am saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. And then I am called to die to self, deny to self, and follow him in my sanctification, not for my justification. Because if that's required for my justification, then I'm never justified until I accomplish that. And I will never accomplish it perfectly. This is it's crazy, but it's common. All right. You, this kind of preaching, it just, it shows up everywhere. It, it, it's everywhere. It's so ingrained. And, and listen, I didn't even, I, you've got to hear this. I didn't even realize really how messed up this preaching was until I enrolled in a Catholic university to pursue, pursue a degree in Catholic theology. And then I started realizing Wait a minute. As Protestants, we're, we're, we're teaching kind of a works-based salvation. We're, we're, we're basically teaching the same thing. 
We, we, we just word it a little different. We just try to play a little word game. Well, you know, it's we're saved by grace alone through faith alone, but the grace and faith that saves doesn't remain alone. So if I don't do this, 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 and this, then I never got the grace and the faith, so I'm not saved. Well, you can play that game all day, but you're still requiring, if I don't do this, I'm not saved. And you can say, well, it's not you that do it. It's God that does it. Well, if it's God that does it, then everyone should be perfect because God should be able to make a lot of perfect people. So then that doesn't work. So it just becomes a train wreck. I'm going to back this up. I just want you to see. So what he has done is he taking what I believe are verses for discipleship. I will place it in the sanctification camp. And he's brought them over to the justification side. All right. I believe discipleship is different from salvation in in this sense. I believe I believe that we are, we are saved by grace alone through faith alone, and then we are called to live and walk as a disciple. I don't become a disciple in order to get saved. I become a disciple as a result of being saved. So these, descript- these verses that talk about discipleship, that is referencing what happens to me after I am saved, which is a never-ending struggle, and it's never going to be perfect. We're always going to be imperfect disciples with cre- making nine million mistakes. And if I base the quality of my discipleship as the basis of my justification, then I'm never going to be justified. The, my justification is not based off the quality of my discipleship. Justification is based off the perfection of Jesus Christ and his perfect work, not my imperfect discipleship. Wow, this is, all right. I've got to back this up. How far do we go? We'll just go, here we go. You need to be born again. You got to start this thing all over. You got to die to yourself. That's what Jesus taught. Now, please note, he, he combined being born again with dying to yourself. So you have to be born again and die to yourself. Both are required for salvation. Both are required is what he just implied. Now, whether he meant to say it that way, that's what he just declared. You got to be born again. You got to die to self. And that you both are required for salvation. No, you have to be born again in order to be saved. And I die to self in my sanctification and my discipleship. If you don't draw a distinction here, then you're going to walk up to someone and be like, look, are you, are, you're not a Christian? Okay, well, here's how you become a Christian. You got to believe in Jesus and you have to die to self, deny to self and, and no longer follow self. All right. So our, now, now what some people will say, and this, and I, I know this game is played all the time. Well, you don't have, they don't have to actually start doing it. They have to be willing to do it. Okay, so they don't actually have to die to self or deny self. They just have to say they're willing to do it. But three weeks in, if they haven't died to self and denied self, then do I, then I start questioning their salvation. So you, are you willing to die to yourself? Well, sure. Uh, are you willing to deny yourself? Sure. Are you willing to stop following yourself? Sure. Okay, you're saved. Now, three weeks later, like, oh, well, have you died to yourself and denied? Well, I'm, I'm trying. Well, I don't know if you're trying enough, so you're not saved. You never got saved. Like, how does that even work? Either it's required. It, it can't just be, well, I, I intend to do it. <laughs> it would, it's either required or it's not required for salvation. Let, let's continue. 
People say, well, but John 3.16, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that whoever believes in him, keep reading. John 3.36 says, he who, who believes in the Son has life, he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, and the wrath of God abides on him. Okay, so let's go with that. Let's go with that. Let's go with that. I'm going to go to John chapter 3. That's, 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 a great, that's a great point he just made. So let's go with this, all right? So, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, if to, I, if I was in front of his church, I'd be like, you know, Pastor Chan just preached a, a great message. Uh, I'm just going to help us apply it this morning, all right? So I need everyone to stand up. Everyone stand up, all right? John chapter 3, verse 36, all right? Everyone here? Everyone, all right, everyone's standing up. I want to see you, all right? Here's what I need you to do. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. If you have believed on Jesus, continue to stand because you have everlasting life. All right. So everybody would still stand because everybody would say, well, of course I believe in Jesus. So probably most, probably 99% of the sanctuary, everybody would be standing up. And I'd say, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. All right. Um, Wait, this is believing not the son. Where did he say obey? How did he just, he said John 3.36, right? Am I in the right? Okay, I'm going to back that up. Wait a minute. What translation is he reading from? Okay, I got to back that up. Okay, here we go. going to back this up one more time. All right, here we go. Shall not see life in the wrath of God. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, and the wrath of God abides on him. All right. So does not obey God, obey the Son. He said John 3.36, did he not? He said John 3.36. Okay, I'm a little confused here. John 3.36 reads, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. He said, he he translated it obey. Wait, I got to look this up in English translation. I was going to use the illustration. Everyone stand up. Does everyone believe? Yes. Okay, you're saved. Is anyone here not obey Jesus perfectly? If you don't, sit down. And well, then uh, most of the congregation would have to sit down because no one obeys Jesus perfectly. Okay, well, then the wrath of God abides on all of you. So none of you are going to heaven. You're all going to hell. That's the point I was going to try to prove based off his, oh, it's the New Living Translation. Okay, wow. That's, I got to look at this. That is crazy. Okay. Man, okay, uh, uh, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the internet. Okay, here we go. I'm going to put John 3.36. I'm going to go to Bible Hub. All right, here we go. I'm going to read it from every translation, all right? Uh, New International. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. New Living Translation. Anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the son will never experience eternal life, but remain under God's angry judgment. Can you, okay, the ESV says does not obey. All right, so a Berean literal Bible says not obeying. Um, 
New American Standard says do not obey. So a lot of these say do not obey. I'm going to look here. Uh, I'm going to see if any translation. Okay, uh, this one, uh, the pulpit commentary says, but he that is disobedient to the son. They say the words, uh, the words are in English, in the English version translated believe not. And again, so in Romans 11, 20, uh, where I guess the same phrase are used interchangeably. The word means one who is distrustful, who refuses to be persuaded or uh, expresses the opposite to faith and active exercise, who repudiates faith um, on the practical side. Um, all right, so they, they're, he's making an argument. So let's just go with this argument if we read it this way. I, I think there's a different way we could, I think there's a different way we could look at this, but okay, let's play, let's play along. All right, so let's go with this idea, all right? So I'm gonna read it that way. I'm gonna go back to my original illustration, all right? So Pastor Chan just preached, everyone stand up in the, in the sanctuary, all right? Now, how many, so how many here, if you've believed on the sun, continue to stand Rejoice this morning. Let's all, let's all applaud. We have everlasting life. Yay. All right. Yay. Laugh. Come on, laugh. Yeah. <laughs> we have everlasting life. It's great. Yeah. Everybody happy? Yes. All right. Great. All right. We all have everlasting life. You, when you go to the buffet after church, you can all be rejoiced. They have everlasting life. But, 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 but don't leave yet. 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 Can't, can't get to the buffet yet because, because, because we got one other thing to consider. And he that obeys not the son shall not see life. All right. So I know all of you say you believe. How many of you are obedient to the son perfectly? Because this doesn't say imperfect obedience, right? It doesn't say if you you obey not the son, if if you obey the son 50%, no, no, this would be you have to obey the son perfectly. How many obey the son perfectly? If you obey God, if you obey the son of God perfectly, continue to stand. Everyone would sit down. And then I would say, well, guess what, guys? You can go ahead and go to the buffet because it better be good. Because if you die leaving the buffet, you're going to hell. So make it a good buffet. Make it a great one. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. And you can sit there and play little games. Well, no, it's not perfect obedience. It's just, no, it's either perfect obedience or it's not. So I will say this, it is 100% true. If I believe on Jesus, I have eternal life. If I don't obey him, I don't have eternal life. What do I mean by that? I obey the idea of him calling me to believe in him. I obey his call to believe on him. I, I obey his call to repent and to believe. And the repent there is to change my mind about sin and about God and believe on him. That has to be the obedience It's the obedience of his command to believe on him. That has to be the obedience. If it's practical obedience, I'm going to go to hell because my obedience is never perfect. So then you have to come along and say, well, it can be an imperfect obedience. This is just, this is maddening. This this is just, I, I... that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. So even if you go with the even if you go with the idea that the word there should be obey, it has to be obeying Christ's call to be born again. It has to be obedience to Christ's call to believe on him, to look to the son for salvation. 
It can't be practical obedience and obeying all the commands, commandments of God because no one does that. Wow, that, okay, well, we got to finish this. We're already at 55 minutes, man. I, can't, I cannot do a podcast episode that's less than an hour. I think it's almost impossible. Here we go. Just keep reading. Read this book. It's about those who turn to Jesus, who recognize, man, I've been living for myself. Man, I'm like Adam and Eve. It's like, oh, that looks good. Let me get some of that. Let me pursue some of that. And it's like, no, you got to stop that. You got to turn from that and say, man, I used to just live thinking it was all about me. And even so many in the church still allow that type of thinking that God is here for you. So what do you need from him? And he, he'll just keep giving you and feed this self-centered mindset. No, it's about me turning from who Francis was and what he wants and saying, no, I'm a part of another kingdom now. I've got a citizenship here. Now you're my Lord. Where, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? I'm just going to say, I know some people hate this you know i'm gonna lay it out because i'm a part of a different kingdom now well i'm glad he can make himself the example i'm glad i'm glad i'm glad francis chan is the example see if we could all be like francis chan then we'll go to heaven but if i'm not like francis chan and i'm self-centered and i think of my own way and i do my own thing and i and i find things i want to grab onto then i'm going to go to hell i i know he probably is not trying to make himself the example but he just tried to make himself the example no 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 no. my salvation is not me being like francis chan my salvation is not based on how good i I do and if I do because again you, all of those examples no one does it perfectly no one completely denies himself no one stops being self-serving no one ever does those things perfectly therefore you're saying I'm going to go to hell but it's going to be like well well it's, it's not that you do it perfectly it's that you do it what 40 percent 60 nobody can ever give me the answer here's what I know my salvation is based on someone who did this it was the eternal son of God And he did not see being equal with God as robbery, but made himself a servant. He, in a sense, denied himself to fulfill the will of the father, which required him to come take on human flesh and to die as a criminal on a cross, become a curse so that I could be saved. My sin was placed upon him, imputed on him, so that his righteousness could be imputed on me. So in everything that you say that is required for my salvation, everything you say, if you say perfection is required for salvation, got it, Jesus was perfect. If you say obedience is required for salvation, great, I've got it. Jesus was perfectly obedient. Obedience. If you say holiness is required, great, Jesus was holy. If you say purity was required, great, Jesus provides all of those things. And I receive all of those things by... Faith alone. That's what separates us from Roman Catholicism. What is being taught here sounds like Roman Catholicism. I've repented. You turn from yourself and you follow Jesus. I I studied one time because I was getting ready for an Easter sermon. You know, Easter is that day where, where everyone shows up 
And so you go, man, what do I say? What do I say? You get a little nervous thinking, man, if I say the right thing, maybe they'll come twice a year. You know, like, you, you know, all this pressure of how do I keep people in the church? So I began to study. I go, man, what did Jesus say? Now, I do agree with him here. It is a lot of pressure being a pastor. There's a lot of pressure. Man, if I say, like, if visitors are coming, right? If I get that phone call that a visitor is coming, all I can think about is, man, if I say the wrong thing, they're not going to come back. If they're, if they're not going to come back, they're not going to come back. And my church is small. I need it to grow, right? We had visitors and then they were supposed to come back and they didn't come back. So all I can think about, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? But then I think, you know what? I'll, what All I can do is, you know, so I, I do agree with this. Like here, I, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. But I, 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 in this area, because I can understand that pressure. And I can't even imagine the pressure of a large church where you've got a million dollar budget. And man, I can't imagine all the pressures in that. I, I mean, I'm just, you know, I just, if we could just get one or two more families here, then I, you know, I, I think we're, we're, we're pretty secure financially. But um, yeah, so, but I understand that pressure, you know, in a small church, you just maybe just need one or two more. In a large church, you may need 500 more to pay all of the bills. But, but I understand that, right? So, so, so on this part, I just, I just want to be fair where, where he's saying things that I can like, okay, I, I see that. But I, he's only got like two minutes left. So let's see how he's going to bring this home. Here we go. When crowds showed up, man, and it was shocking. He didn't say, oh, so glad you're here. Come back next week. You know, we got this program, this program, this. You won't want to miss that. That he didn't say that. He, he, he did it. He said, yeah, and bring a friend. No, he what he did. I started studying. I'm going, wow, Jesus, you. I mean, obviously, no one in this church is worried about anything. I mean, they, they're all, la- I mean, I, when I say all, okay, that, put it this way. I'm assuming it's a big church. So for, for me to pick up all of the laughter on the microphone requires to be a, a, a quite a few people laughing. It requires that. I, I, at least I think so. Maybe his microphone is, is way closer to the congregation, but I know that I'll, I'll be in church. Um, I'll listen to a sermon and someone in my church, and we're in a small room. And someone in my church will ask a question or maybe they laughed or did something. And, or maybe I, say, I said something funny and I'll be listening to the sermon on the way home. I'm like, whoa, man, obviously no one thought that was funny because no one laughed. No one laughed at all. That's, that's pretty embarrassing. Nobody, nobody thought my joke was funny. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. It could be. Uh, all right. So um, Twyla's looking. He goes, I found a bunch of his sermons. But I didn't find the one with this title. Yeah, I know. I have no idea where this sermon came from. Uh, maybe we can find it. But I just know that for, for to pick up the laughter on the microphone, it has to be quite a few people. So, um, but I just don't know why anybody in this church would be laughing right now. Why would anybody be laughing? He basically just said there's someone, there's people sitting, sitting in that congregation who are going to go to hell. But obviously the people laughing are thinking they're perfectly okay. And again, this is what always in these churches that talk this real like, you know, you better do this, 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 and this, or you prove you're not saved. Wherever those sermons are preached, everyone hearing the sermons always think that they're the ones who do all of those things, <laughs> okay? Nobody ever goes, well, wait a minute. I don't know if I'm saved. It's like, uh, it's crazy. But okay, we only got two minutes to go. Here we go. Said that? See, Jesus didn't beg. 
That was surprising. In fact, people begged him. He said, can I, can, can, I, can I follow you? And the people would come to him going, man, can I follow you? And he's like, man, foxes have holes. Birds have nests, but I have nowhere to lay my head. You, you sure you want to follow me? Because I'm homeless tonight. I don't know where I'm sleeping. You want to follow me? That was Jesus. It wasn't just, oh, good, they showed up, you know, let, let's keep them there somehow. No, Jesus was honest. Jesus was so honest, so brutally honest. In fact, this week, early on Monday, I, I was having, uh, or Tuesday, I don't remember, I, I was having breakfast with a friend of mine. And uh, this hedge fund guy, you know, was in, in town just uh, visiting. And, and he, he just, he said as we we're eating, he goes, you know, I did something the other day. I just opened my Bible and I just started reading all the letter, all the words in red. And I just read through the whole thing. Just, I just kept turning pages, 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 just reading. What did Jesus say? Because in my Bible, he says, all the words of Jesus are in red. So I just read them all, all of them. It doesn't take that long. Just read them all. And he goes, I was shocked. He goes, Jesus was direct. He goes, Jesus sure did sound a lot different from preachers today. And I go, man, what you did, I beg people to do. I beg them, man, stop listening to everyone else and get alone with the word of God and just read it. Stop listening to everyone else, but listen to Francis Chan. Stop listening to everyone else, but please come to his church more than two times a year. Stop listening to everyone else. Now, now I know preachers, we all say that, you know, hey, read the Bible for yourself, study the Bible for yourself. But I, I hope that whenever I say that, I balance it out by constantly telling you, hey, subscribe to this podcast and this podcast and listen to this and listen to this and listen to this and listen to all the sermons on Sermon Audio and download the Edify Christian Podcast app. Hopefully no one has ever heard me say, don't listen to anybody else, just read your Bible Hopefully, I, I emphasize study the Bible for yourself. I constantly emphasize that. But hopefully, you know that I tell you, read this, read the church fathers, read commentaries, even with the Bible study exercises. I tell you to go look at what did people say about this and what did people say about this? Because, because just reading the Bible yourself, you're relying on yourself to come up with a, hopefully an authoritative interpretation. Sometimes the only way to know if your interpretation may be on the right path or not on the right path is to compare what everyone else says. And then you're like, wait a minute, why am I the only one with this interpretation? Nobody else agrees with me. And then you have to challenge and check yourself. Hopefully I always balance that out. I know as a preacher, you want to emphasize everyone study your Bible. And I know, but sometimes it just sounds so funny. Hey, stop listening to everyone else as you're listening to me. <laughs> okay. Stop listening to all those preachers. Hey, but we have an app for all of my sermons. Okay, It just sounds very, it can be interpreted. I'm not saying that this is the case. Very cult-like. Don't listen to anyone else. I, I reject that. I'm like, read anything and everything. Read it. Listen to it. I don't care what it is. I, it's, I mean, you, I mean, well, Twyla knows. She's been in this church long. You can go to our church library. There's stuff in there that I by no means agree with. But I, I'm like, when, when the Da Vinci Code was coming out, I told everyone, hey, buy the book. Buy the book, because one day they're going to make a movie from this and everyone's going to be talking about buy the book. And and and, oh, and I remember having someone in the church at the time. So you want us to like read the book? I'm like, yeah. They're like, well, what if it's got messed up stuff in it? Oh, 
I don't know. What should you do? What should you do? I don't, I can't, now I didn't say it in such a sarcastic manner, but, but in my mind, I was like, I don't know. Maybe you have to figure it out. Like, I'm not afraid of you finding things that disagree. I'm not worried about that. Truth will prevail. But, um, so it just like, I, it just seems a little disingenuous to tell everyone, stop listening to preachers and read the Bible for yourself as they're listening to a preacher. (laughs) Just. It just seems so, but I, but I understand what he's trying to say. I do understand what he's trying to say. It just sometimes as preachers, it doesn't dawn on you how that could be perceived from, from listening from the outside. All right, forty six seconds to go. Here we go. Read it for yourself. I mean, your eternity depends on it. You're not even going to read it, man. Take some time. Understand the words of Jesus. Man, if you feel like, oh, no, I can't read that whole book. My eternity's not worth it. Just read the red part at least. Just start with that. Just read Jesus' words. It'll take you a couple hours. And just go, okay, everything I've been taught my whole life, how does it compare to what Jesus said? You'd be surprised. Are you challenged? Great. Am I challenged? No, I'm not challenged. I'm challenged to take my laptop and throw it across the church and smash it into 15 stinking pieces. That's what I'm challenged. I'm not challenged about any, what? No, this is, this is an absolute, this is what I feel like. It's a, I know, no, I'm going to even be more blunt. It feels like an absolute attack upon salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone even though I know that's not his intent. Francis Chan would tell you, I believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. I know he would say those words. I know that. But it's an unintentional, direct, blunt. How could I? It's unintentional, but yet it's blunt and direct attack upon salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. And I know because I've, I've been guilty of doing the exact same thing. I was brought up. I was discipled. Under the lordship mentality by MacArthur. MacArthur was one of the, I mean, other than the older woman who I was initially discipled by, the next person who discipled me was John MacArthur. It was his teaching that discipled me. And so I caught on to the lordship. I, 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 I never forget buying the, the book, Gospel According to Jesus by MacArthur and, and going, man, nobody's saved. Nobody is saved. Nobody is saved and struggling with that. And then I just had to put it aside going, well, MacArthur knows the Bible better than I do. So this has to be the right way. And then my independent fundamental Baptist church is same thing is those people are not saved. Those people are not saved. Those people, unless you do this, 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 and this, you're not saved. You're not saved. You're not, I mean, I got into the, I, the, nobody is saved. And then finally I realized, well, wait a minute. That would mean I'm not saved. And then I had to realize and, and really be confronted with my own sin and my own failure. Certain sins and failures were enough to slap me in the face to make me realize, wait a minute. And then, of course, studying Catholicism really was the major turning point for me. I'm like, wait a minute. We're like, you're saved by grace alone through faith alone. And then we sound like Catholics. Well, you better do this. You don't do this. If you do this, you're not saved. Catholics at least have an entire system. That tries to figure it out. Well, that's a mortal sin, so no, you're no longer in a state of grace. Now you have to go through penance, and if you do this, you can get back into a state of grace. At least they have a system. And the Protestant world is just like, you're, yes, you're saved by grace alone through faith alone, but if you don't do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z, and if I miss the letter, sue me, all the letters, then you're not saved. Well, how can the people, like, 
they're, they're all sitting there laughing and applauding like, <laughs> you're right. Some of those people aren't saved. It has to be someone else because I know I'm saved. But if those people that are laughing and applauding, if I was to examine their life, I'd be like, well, wait a minute. That's a sinful attitude. Wait a minute. That's not godly. Wait, that's, they would, they would fall short of the standard. The only standard he gave us in this clip was you have to obey Jesus. And if you don't obey Jesus, you're not saved. Well, then that means I have to obey every command, every single command. Just here's what I would do. He talked about reading the red letters. Okay. Francis Chan, I love your challenge. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to shorten it. Just read the red letters between Matthew chapter five and Matthew chapter seven. I see. I think it ends in chapter seven. Um, yeah, chapter seven, verse 29. Go from Matthew five to Matthew seven, verse 29. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, it's filled with command after command after command after command after command. Uh, when you're done, right? Just grade yourself and tell me if you obey Jesus. I, 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 you don't have to send me your results. I already know you're going to fail the test. I already know you're going to fail the test. You don't obey Jesus. You don't obey his sermon on the mount. The greatest sermon supposedly ever preached. You're going to find yourself going, woe is me, I'm undone. Now, if you think that you obey Matthew 5, 6, and 7, then we need to get you psychological help because you are absolutely a narcissist who cannot see their own sin and their own failure. You've got some kind of, you've got a psychological disorder. Because anyone who reads Matthew 5, you just get through the Beatitudes. You're like, blessed is the person who does this. I'm like, well, I'm not blessed. Blessed is the person who does this. I'm not blessed. But when I read the Sermon on the Mount, I'm like, you know what? Jesus preached it and Jesus obeyed it. And in Christ, his obedience is my obedience. So in Christ, I have obeyed everything in the Sermon on the Mount. And practice, I fall short of it. I should strive to obey it. I should strive, but I don't obey it. I fall short every single day. Of every single, I mean, just, just, just go through the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they that shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. How meek are you? Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. How much do you truly hunger and thirst after righteousness? Versus how much you hunger and thirst for your own way. Blessed are the merciful. How merciful are you? Blessed are the pure in heart. How pure are you in heart? Blessed are the peacemakers. How much of a peacemaker are you? You're condemned right there. So yeah, let's read the red words. And the red words are going to say, I'm a sinner and I deserve hell. Amen. My hope is in Christ, not in somehow obeying all of this in order to be saved. And you say, well, and then I know I'm going to get all the emails. No, you misunderstand. You No, I don't misunderstand. I've heard and read and, 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 and did plenty of assignments for seminary and Bible college per, from that perspective. It's always like, no, it's not that you're going to do it perfectly, but it's the direction. It's, it, you make all kinds of, uh, then you kind of backtrack and say, well, no, it's not perfect obedience. It's, it's partial obedience. It's not that you're going to do everything right, but it's the general direction. No, those verses say you will do this. So either I will do it or I don't do it. I will do it in Christ. In practice, I will fall short. That, that's kind of a frightening sermon clip. I will tell you that. 
it's it's a frightening sermon clip. I'm going to stop there because we're an hour and 14 minutes in. Man, I, 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 I never have enough time to do all the things I need to do. All right, I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to try maybe to do one quick thing. Oh, I need to play, I need to play this clip from uh, the BBC. There's this crazy thing going on on the Temple Mount in, Is- in Jerusalem where Jews are now disguising themselves basically to be Muslims so that they can pray on the Temple Mount. It's really this crazy story, but uh, which then brings up the whole discussion about uh, a future temple. And Okay, but um, I don't have enough time. And I'm now getting uh, notifications from the Bible Memory app. Hey, you got, you got review to do. So I need to do a review on our Bible uh, memory verse this week. So, all right. Uh, hey, well, thanks for listening. Um, someone just thanked me for what I do. And thank you, Twyla, for l- laughing at all my jokes. I know it's probably, uh, you, know, you don't have to really try to laugh at all my jokes because they're so perfect, but I'm joking. But um, all right, I'll stop there. Oh, there's like a million things we need to do. All right, I've got to do at least one more thing. So I'm going to try to do that because I have to get back home. All right, we'll stop there. Thanks for listening. I hope this was helpful. I hope. I hope, I hope I helped you maybe try to figure out Matthew 7 a little bit. I know I didn't look up the cross-reference for you, so I'll place that before you. When Jesus talks about you've got to do the will of the Father, look up the passages where it speaks of the will of the Father is to believe on the one whom he had sent, which is Jesus Christ. That's the got to be the cross-reference. That's, nothing else makes any sense there. So, all right, I know I'm going to get all the people who hold to a, a, a strong lordship perspective just going crazy on me, but... I, I mean, I've been there. I, I know the perspective and you're, you're going to, no matter what you say, you're going to backtrack and you're going to make exceptions. Well, you don't have to do it perfectly. Well, that's, that's not the way it works. Okay. So, all right. I'll stop right there. Everyone have a great day. God bless.